This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis and in the United States, we have a housing crisis, and that means uh, also a crisis of the unhoused. Today on our special interview, we will be talking about homelessness and also touching specifically on youth homelessness. And without further ado, uh, let's go directly to the interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. So just tell us about yourself. Totally. Uh, my name is Ashley. I go by they, them pronouns. And I've been a youth worker and nonprofit for the past decade, focusing on young adult homelessness primarily in the Seattle area um, and a little bit in broader Washington State, um, a little bit back in Minnesota and on the East Coast, um, but mostly here in Washington. Um, and my focus has mostly been on elevating and platforming young people with lived expertise. Um, so I've you know, organize young people to do uh, some statewide advocacy here in Washington, which, you know, um, I think that policy advocacy work only can get you so far, but when things are so terrible for young people right. um, and people experiencing homelessness, right, like it changes people's material conditions pretty significantly when um, they're, you know, there's a whole bunch of specific policies that can make people's lives so much better. Um I've done a lot of like homelessness prevention work, training direct service staff, and right now I work statewide with communities to try to push and support them to reorganize their systems to end youth homelessness, which is actually needed because fundamentally that's not really what uh, homelessness systems are built to do. Um, and I'm also a parent. I'm raising two kids uh, to live in this world and you know, right. want to make it better for them. So I'm speaking today from just like my observations um, and what I've seen over that time. That's a lot. So yeah, you actually, you know, what you said gets into the next question. So there is a narrative out there that like, you know, people are homeless. They must've done something wrong in their life to be in that situation. And, you know, you and I both know that's not correct. Um, and then I've seen more politicians lately, you know, saying like, if they get elected, they're going to get rid of, they're going to end homelessness once and for all. Um, so I think, you know, from your perspective or from what you've uh, seen, what are the biggest contributors to, contributing factors to making an individual homeless? And then is it something that we can actually end? Yeah, totally. There's like a lot. That's a lot there, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not, if I get to you in the weeds, just like pull me back out. But that's absolutely a thing. And right, like we all know that for the vast majority of people, especially in this country with so many people living paycheck to paycheck, most people experiencing homelessness are there because of bad luck, uh, things that people could actually think are, are noble. So like fleeing domestic violence, leaving an abusive family situation, somebody drowning in medical debt, like trying their best um, and, and, you know, lost right. a job and got sick right. um, or something like that. And, and that's what throws people into homelessness. And I also want to say that, right, like if the precipitating factor uh is that somebody messed something up um, or did something wrong, uh, quote unquote wrong? Um, right. Right. People still deserve to have their basic needs met. Absolutely. And underpinning 
yeah, and underpinning this argument is this idea that, right, like not everybody deserves what they need to survive and to have a dignified life. Right. Um, and I don't think that house people necessarily understand exactly, you know, what it is like to be homeless, especially on the street or going into shelters, right? I, Agreed. Um, I remember a young person that I work with said, like, the first day she was on the street, um, at the age of 16, she was under the bridge and saw somebody get beat uh, with a hammer to the head. Um, and so when you're in this situation and trauma is piling up, a lot of times, like, the reasons people think people become homeless um, are really uh, responses, smart responses to homelessness. Like, when all your stuff might get stolen at night, there's a lot of really good chemical ways to be able to stay up all night so that doesn't happen um, because that could be the difference um, the difference between being able to survive and not survive. And so um, homelessness systems themselves are, are responsive, and so all of these other systems fail and then homelessness systems catch people as a last resort. Like that's kind of what they're built to do. So when people are exiting the criminal incarceration system, people are exiting foster care, people um, you know, are, are not able to, to make rent and we have a failing housing system, we have a failing medical system, all of these different things, like homelessness systems are meant to be a stopping point. And um, especially since the eighties and since all of these different social programs were gutted, you know, mm-hmm. um, like uh, mental health institutions were uh, completely kind of shut down. Um, a lot of people became homeless and now live in homelessness for way longer periods of time. Um, it's not a stopping point to help people get back on their feet. It's a place people like live right. for decades. Um, and so all of these different things are super interconnected. And like, uh, you know, capitalism gives us a scarcity mindset that we think that we don't have enough, but we totally have enough. Um, but we just have a, you know, a, a misinterpretation of what is, is valuable um, and people's human life and, and dignity is not the most valuable thing, right? Like right. developers' right to hoard housing and the banker's right to foreclose on your house, for example, all of those things are much more valuable than um, than people's lives. Right. If somebody can buy a private island for themselves, then we can house everybody, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, or well, even a handful of individuals can buy their own private island, these billionaires. So. Right, exactly. And in Washington, you know, we have um, some of the biggest wealth inequality in the United States, some of the biggest wealth inequality in the world um, here. And and it's really interesting, actually, like in homelessness circles, um, people, people oftentimes are like, the solution to homelessness is to give people housing. And the homelessness homelessness folks, people in these circles, um, kind of don't like that. They, they argue against that really kind of um, a lot. <laughs> right. Uh, and they kind of bend over backwards to say that, you know, it's housing, but what about sustainability? What about jobs? What about people's mental health? What about all these million reasons why people need to be fixed in order to deserve housing? Right. But I think it's like kind of a lack of imagination that like, you know, what housing means is that we have an intact system of private housing where people can, you know, have three, four, five hundreds of homes that they just sit on. And, uh, you know, we have a private sector housing market that functions exactly how it functions now. Um, And if we had that, right, like that line of argumentation makes sense that like you need to have a job in this system that we have set up in order to sustain housing. But 
we don't have to keep that system of housing intact in order to, to kind of do this. And so, um, right, giving people housing is important. Um, and really, this is like a resource allocation issue. Resources, especially for something like homelessness, it's, it's such a specific, you know, specific group of people right. that we're talking about. It's not, it's not even like a conversation about like a universal basic income. I don't think it requires, you know, a whole revolution. It's, it's really about like basic human dignity for like a, a, a specific proportion of, of people. Right. Um, and we have the resources to do that. Right. Um, we don't need, you know, half of the U S budget going to the, uh, like imperialistic wars abroad. Yep. Well, actually, I'm going to just I'm, I'm kind of skipping ahead a question, but you, you mentioned before this, um, you know, capitalism and this idea of scarcity. So, you know, I think we've had this uh, little conversation before where I believe it was said capitalism requires homelessness. Um, that was kind of the quote in, in a previous conversation. Can you expand on that idea and the idea of scarcity um, a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, right, capitalism... Um, I, I would say that homelessness is a very uh, useful tool for capitalism to be able to sustain itself. It is a mechanism that, you know, provides a, a threat to workers of what happens when you, um, you know, are not able to, to you know, continue to be um, useful to um, increasing production and all those kinds of things, right? Right. Um, well, uh, to keep people in line and like lots of homelessness services, I would say are kind of bent, especially for young people, um, are kind of bent on kind of forcing people into a specific type of box so that you can be a contributing useful member of society, AKA like a useful part of capitalism. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so there's, there's that, you know, component of it. Um, and then, you know, private property is being an inherently valuable, um, resource and an inherently valuable like piece of capitalism, right? Like you mm-hmm. have to be able to have you know um, incarceration and law enforcement system that um, prioritizes property owners over over people, and so people who you know um, people who will like evict somebody on behalf of a landlord or a developer or a bank in terms of, you know, like all these foreclosed homes, like we have tons of empty homes all over the place and the cops will show up and kick people out into the cold. Um, and, and they won't turn around and do that for, for tenants or anything like that. So, um, I think homelessness is, is very useful for capitalism. Um, and to create the, the, like you said, like the scarcity mentality, the scarcity mindset that like kind of keeps us all, in a situation where it's like, I, I don't want to be the person. Um, I, I don't want to be that person. And so, you know, people will do a whole heck of a lot of things that they might not do if that threat was hanging over their head. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think it's like a little bit of a cop out to say that capitalism to just blanketly say that capitalism requires homelessness because, um, right. If we say that, uh, there's kind of like a philosophical piece of me that's like, if we say that, then that means that there's nothing we can do apart from make it a little less painful for people because homelessness is going to happen until the revolution happens. And I think, right, that's what homelessness systems, that's how, you know, we, I'm part of those systems, mm-hmm. um, that's how we kind of conceptualize it. Like we have to make it less painful for people. We have to, um, 
we have to uh, be able to get people into the situation where like they can be successful in the system that we have set up here. Um, and right. I, I just think that, um, that if we do that, then, then it takes the onus off, off, off of us to, to transform the things that like really can be transformed to end um, to end this experience for people because nobody should, nobody should have to be homeless and actually nobody has to be homeless. And it doesn't take, um, I don't think like a full transformation in order to like get people housing that already like currently exists. Right. Right. It's it's more of a value shift, um, more of a less less cutthroat version of capitalism, I would say. And I, I think it's really something for us to achieve on the way towards a more complete transformation that we all want to see. Absolutely agree. The So you work specifically with teens experiencing homelessness. Are there any specific considerations when it comes to homelessness among teenagers? Like I'm thinking like a broad thing, the way they view it, you know, creative ideas they have around it, or even just the ways it impacts them or causes, is, is there anything around teen homelessness that people, you know, need to know about? Yeah, yeah. So I, I specifically work with young people between the ages of 13 and 24 who are disconnected from their families. So when we say you can get all homelessness, everybody's broken into specific populations, and that's a whole other thing. Um, but it's, it's a pretty broad group of people with uh, pretty significant differences in terms of, you know, like if you're under 18 versus over 18, um, some of those kind of considerations. But I really love working with young people. Um, mm. Part of that is because the work of being a young person is really to explore different ideas and critique the world. And I used to love going to drop-in or like meal programs and sit and talk to young people about capitalism and right. uh, see what they were thinking about. And like, um, and really, like, there's a transformational like capacity among young people um, and a desire to make the world better that it hasn't been kind of like crushed out of. So right. I, I love that. Um, and, right, I would say that um, young people specifically uh, are marginalized in, in ways that um, other groups of people are not. So you need things like parental consent if you're under 18 to access shelter. There are status defense mm. laws. So, like, if you're truant too many days, you in Washington State, for example, you can get locked up or um, you used to be able to get locked up for uh, up to seven days if you're truant too many times from school um, in juvenile detention. Um, or, you know, there's uh, also a mechanism in Washington that um, a court order can, uh, can um, I guess, put some backing behind your parents' rules. And so if you break your mm. parents' rules, you could get incarcerated. Things like that. Um, running away, you can get incarcerated. The status defense laws, like, create an entire other element of, under 18 year olds, um, wanting to stay entirely out of the radar and, uh, away from the incarceration system, away from the police. And so they end up staying outside sometimes for years. Like a lot of the young people that I know, um, entered homelessness at 11, 12, 13, 14, um, for the first time on their own without their family. Um, and every day you spend on the streets, it's that much harder to get out. And so when you're spending years on the streets, because we have laws in place um, that specifically um, specifically target you as an under 18 year old for doing something that an over 18 year old would not, um, would not, you know, have an issue with, um, would not right. be against the law for them. There's like this whole other thing. I just did a um, show on, I just did like a special on mass incarceration and I was looking at juvenile 
incarceration. And I mentioned that a little bit, like how they're getting arrested for tons of things that are, wouldn't even be a crime if you were over 18. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and right, there's all these, these systemic creators of homelessness, um, I think, for young people that are, are specifically unique. So exiting people exiting foster care or entering foster care. In Washington State, we have um, a, a huge amount of young people, teenagers who are in the foster care system who run away from the foster care system. There's a, um, a lawsuit currently in standing um, against the foster care system, a prom lawsuit um, that, you know, we've never been in compliance with, um, saying that the state isn't providing adolescents with uh, adequate foster care. And so they're running away, um, mm. those kinds of things, um, towards more like safety uh, on the streets than they are experiencing in the system. Um, right, parents and caregivers uh, dying or being incarcerated, and you brought up like the mass incarceration system. And so, right, when all, all of this becomes exacerbated uh, by racism, transphobia, homophobia, when you think about the mass incarceration system, for example, like you might have a young person who has a loving family and because of that system or because of unfair sentencing or different things like that, you might be a kid who ends up being taken into the foster care system or just kind of abandoned because the system uh, criminalizes you or criminalizes your family that you're staying with um, who love you and want to take care of you. But because of that system, you all of a sudden find yourself tossed into into homelessness or into the foster care system um and right all that is part of a long history of uh of these systems especially the foster care system um a long history of you know white people doing whatever they want with um black kids indigenous kids Pacific right. Islander kids um and that over criminalization is a huge cause of young people then having to like you know figure figure stuff out for themselves Mm-hmm. Um, on top of, you know, all of these groups of people, um, you know, their ancestors and themselves and, you know, incarcerated workers, um, you know, creating a lot of wealth for white people that then they don't get access to that generational wealth. And it's that much harder than to be able to, um, to get off the streets or stay off the streets when you don't have access to that. You don't have a rich grandpa, nothing, right. things like that. Oh yeah. The wealth, the wealth difference between white people and large groups of people of color is just like astronomical like okay. white people don't even well many white people don't even get it at all yeah yeah like they don't even oh, understand at all the kind of difference in wealth and access to wealth and yeah having a rich grandpa um yeah it's it's yeah. Great. well the other other thing you brought up too that i wanted to touch on is, yeah is the thing about like what what young people think and what young people want. Um, and I think it's a really unique opportunity that in the youth homelessness space, like not only do people spend a lot of time to talk, like it's unique to youth homelessness uh, as a piece of the nonprofit world that things like systemic racism are things that people talk about. People say words like mutual aid, especially after, you know, the George Floyd protests. And, um, That's and amazing. That's great. That happened. Yeah, um, mutual aid has been a thing that people talk about. Um, capitalism isn't a dirty word. It's some of those kinds of things. And young people with lived experience um, uniquely in the homelessness space are, are centered and listened to in a way that, like, I think um, youth workers and nonprofit people have a much harder time, like, translating what they have to say um, and acting on it. But it's, in, it's part of the 
part of the kind of fiber of youth homelessness work. Like if you didn't consult young people, then people kind of look at you side-eyed. And so there's a huge opportunity there in terms of organizing young people um, to, uh, you know, to be able to have an analysis um, of their situation. Because, right, like, you know, people across all kinds of different situations, there's a range of political opinions that people have and, and things like that. But there's right. a huge opportunity, um, especially among people who are nonprofit workers or who are part of this specific nonprofit industrial complex around homelessness, mm. um, which is its, its own kind of like deep-seated deep-seated issue, in my opinion. Um, but for us as youth workers, I think there's a real potentiality um, or like kind of revolutionary potential in this piece of work for us to like take that language and go further with it, continue to like push it further and to ask ourselves more questions, to ask our higher-ups more questions. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like I don't have positional power, so I'm just a case manager. I can like, you know, kind of game the system a little bit with my one client, but right. I can't really change everything. And when people try, um, and when people question like, okay, so this is a rule, is this because this is the way we always did it? Or is this because, um, of something like that's actually written down? Are we actually going to get in trouble if we break the rule? Some of those kinds of questions, I think we really need to ask ourselves because, um, I've seen a lot of people who felt like, you know, this is just kind of how it is um, and I'll be mad about it, but I'm not really going to do anything about it. Um, Right. Uh, Really kind of get transformed by seeing um, how much power that they have if they're willing to like grab onto it and think about what it would be like to truly do right by young people um, in our program. Because a lot of times we complain a lot and don't really do things that different because we don't feel like we can. Absolutely. And I think creativity is a big part of uh, moving forward as far as uh, thinking about how we, for example, how we use our power <laughs> and when we use our power and where, where we have the most ability to use it. Um, and, and of course, for different people, that might be, uh, might be different. Um, but ev- I think everybody in their realm has uh, places where they have more power than they think they do. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I was working with uh, uh, somebody and doing like a harm reduction training with them. Um, Their manager at a youth housing like place, uh, we were talking about, you know, harm reduction in terms of my organization. Like how can my organization actually, like how can I push my organization to reduce harm Mm. for young people, for behavior? Um, Right, because I have this thing where I'm like homelessness systems kick young people out or homeless housing programs kick people out into homelessness. Mm-hmm. way too much we should not be exiting people in homelessness um and so we were talking about that and she said you know we have this client and you know they lock their door and they're using and all these different kinds of things um and we were trying to get creative and think about what they what they do and uh, a bunch of people came up with a bunch of ideas for them went back and i talked to her a couple days later and she said I just called our executive director and told her that I was going to give this person a kit to use, um, you know, and Mm -hmm. have them exit the property, like, you know, make a, make a plan for where they were going to go to be able to go use, um, and what their safety plan was going to be when they're going to come back and like what was going to happen and all these things and let them go do that. And I just told the executive director, I'm going to do that. And she said, yes. Mm. Um, and I think, she was, we were all very surprised that it wasn't like an issue. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and 
that bought them some time to be able to like find another place that that young person could go that would be able to serve their needs more because they, you know, they're like the other people in this space aren't feeling safe with this. And so, you know, like let's figure out a stopgap so that people aren't experiencing the harm of being on the street one more night or having us, you know, not care about you enough to like do that work, to find a place to, to bridge you into the next thing. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a nurse and I think that, you know, the uh, uh, having safe space to use and also decriminalization of drugs, you know, is going to play a big part in uh, uh, a lot of these uh, areas because, I mean, it already has, I mean, we've already seen that it can play a big part uh, um, in helping people with uh, addiction and managing their addiction in other places, um, other places that have safe space and also with Portugal's like decriminalization programs and things like that. So I think, yeah, I think that's huge. Yeah. And it's really awesome. Uh, <laughs> not awesome. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of awesome. Like here in Seattle, we're supposed to have a safe consumption site. We don't have one. Uh, people mm. would love to do a big flashy headline about like, Oh yeah, like, you know, we're going to do a cool thing. And then all the NIMBYs kind of get into it and they're like, um, absolutely not in my neighborhood. Yep. Uh, and so then we have, you know, a lot of communities who want to do stuff like that and folks who um, really are just, you know, I John, John Oliver did that special on homelessness and, you know, uh, most of it is like pretty liberal, but at the same time, what a brilliant way to like have all of these liberals be like, I'm actually just like less liberal um, <laughs> because of homelessness. Uh, I feel like my care for other people is kind of washing away. Mm. And it's like, whoa, that's bold. Like yeah. that, that's really like the work of, of trying to like get people to, to really transform how they think and how they care about their neighbors. And who mm. they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had, I've had a similar thing in my neighborhood. They're trying to build a, a, re, a rehab recovery. Well, they were at this church that they just, um, uh, or, are refurbishing or whatever. And, and I know one of my neighbors was speaking out against it. I wasn't able to make it to either of the sessions where he was supposedly speaking out against it. And I haven't talked, I have a chance to see him cause it's been winter now, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous how like, you know, people want to solve these issues, but of course they don't want to solve them anywhere near themselves, which is kind of like, uh, what, like, where do you, where do you think, where do you think, uh, we're going to help people, uh, probably in the city where all the people live here. So, uh, I don't know what, I don't know what people expect, but you help the people where the people are. So there's people there, uh, and they need, uh, some assistance with something or some programs, then that's where the programs are going to be. I don't know. It just seems, it just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense to me, but yeah, a lot of people seem to think that way. Um, is there anything else you want to say on the topics we discussed today or any other organizations or events, um, programs you want to, uh, plug or mention before you go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think one thing I just want to say about this, um, is that right. There's so much incredible work that's happening. Um, a lot of it has happening outside of the system. Hmm. Um, right. Uh, there's when I, when I was in high school, um, Right. I know I knew a bunch of people who were kind of bouncing around. There's always a family or, you know, a couple of people who a couple of parents who know that uh, their kid's friend is not just staying there every night 
because they're just really good friends it's because they have nowhere else to go and so i want to shout out to all those people who are doing um the work of like housing people without uh, a system to support them all the people who are like foster parenting adolescents like most people want if they're going to be foster parents which is a huge huge job they want babies or toddlers and, mm. and things like that. Um, and teens are, are harder, are superior for people for some yep. reason. I love teenagers, but all the people who are, you know, foster parenting teens, um, like just incredible work that people are doing. Um, yep. And then all of these groups, right. I, I was thinking about this question about um, what, uh, like what, what are people doing um, to be able to like specifically themselves have an impact on, on homelessness or homelessness for young people. And I was thinking back to Occupy and how out of that um, emerged, especially in like Minneapolis and the Twin Cities, there was, a, I knew at the time, there was like a huge movement um, of people showing up when people, uh, when a cop came to foreclose on people's houses. Right. Um, people showing up to block the door and be like, you're not going to foreclose. Um, and here in Seattle, there's a lot of people who show up to tent cities. We have, um, we have a, a policy of sweeping encampments, and so they basically tear up everybody's stuff, rip up their tents, um, like throw everything in the garbage, um, and displace people. Um, and and there's a movement of people who like show up when we know there's they have to post that they're going to sweep, show up um, and block the the sweep. Mm. Um, and so those kinds of things, I think, are things that are are not that high. Um, of a barrier for people to get be able to get involved in um, if you know in your area of, of folks that are organizing things like that a lot of times you don't have to go to a bunch of meetings like a lot of organizing spaces right. um, you just have to like be willing to show up at 8 a.m on this time like when the call goes out um, and just stand there basically and protect your neighbors um, and so I think those kinds of things won't necessarily like end homelessness but they they will um make people be able to survive like a little bit better right and for and for youth workers like people in the system like i said like i think um i got asked this question or i i was talking in in my master's program um with some folks and we were talking about schools but um i think it applies to this too too somebody was like like you don't oppress students you get fired and i was like have you been fired (laughs) and then i was thinking have I been fired? Am I going far enough if I actually don't feel like I, um, like I, you know, I felt like a little bit like I'm going to get in trouble for this. Right. Um, but if we're not pushing that boundary of like, you know, what it takes to be able to, to really make sure that our systems and like our work is not oppressing people, mm-hmm. um, we got to be asking ourselves that question, I think, um, about like, right, like what is actually going to happen if I do what this person needs right now. Um, and I think us in the system have like a, a little bit more ability to be able to do that, especially people in direct service who don't feel like they have, have that ability a lot. And especially with the worker shortage or resignation or whatever exactly is going on right now, I feel like workers have a lot more leverage exactly. and power again than they think they do. So Yes, exactly. And the last person I want to shout out um, is actually in the Twin Cities, Natasha Lynn, the formula lady kind of side note but she is really great you can find her on facebook and she basically just like uh gets requests for mutual aid from people and puts them on social media and organizes people to like respond to requests for like i need diapers 
Um, like my car won't start and I, you know, I'm here with my babies in my car trying to be able to survive. Right. Um, and she just does it, um, voluntarily. She created it herself. Um, and she is, is such a great resource, I think, for so many people, um, in the Twin Cities area. And so people should check her out. All right. Well, I thank you so much for talking to me today and, uh, yeah, you, you especially taking time out of all your uh, busy schedule. I know you got a lot going on, so. Totally. Thanks so much for putting me up. Yeah. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> this has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.